Hello there and welcome to the second part of our podcast episode with Amanda McEwen discussing the music from 1971. The full podcast, including all songs chosen by Amanda, can be heard on Spotify. Search over our garden wall. However, if you can't access Spotify, this is a copy of all the chat from the podcast. You can, of course, listen to Amanda's songs on Apple Music too, just not on this podcast. Apologies for this, and hopefully one day we can publish in full on Apple as we do on Spotify. Enjoy the chat and stay safe. Okay, so that was Blue by Joni Mitchell. It was a year that seems to have over-indexed on great records, and a look at the top 10 in the year-end best-of list would seem to confirm this. Okay, so I've dug out the top 10 uh, voted-rated albums. Right. So these aren't the best-sellers, these are your um, critics. and Critically acclaimed ones. Back to what you said before, there's a real overlap between that and the commercial success yeah. as well. So I'll rattle down them. Um, Tapestry, Carol King, which you mentioned. Uh, Nine was Ellie Woman. By the Doors. Yeah. Which we'll touch on. Uh, eight was Tago Mago by Can. Okay. Uh, uh, and you would have surprised me if you'd put one of those in. <laughs> so, uh, can't be a bit of German crowd rock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Seven was Meadow by Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. Six was Blue, Jonah Mitchell. Five was What's Going On, Marvin Gaye. Four was Sticky Fingers. Three was Hunky Dory by David Bowie. Two was Who's Next. And number one was what was what's called Zeppelin Four. Untitled yep. Zeppelin, whatever yep. you want to call that. Um what's your view on Led Zeppelin? You touched on them earlier there and uh but, but obviously you didn't pick up on any for your fifteen. Was that was it was it on the radar or was was Oh yeah. It was on the radar, right. Yeah, definitely on the radar. No, I'm I'm partial to put a Led Zeppelin. It falls under the the Big Brother bracket. It's um, <laughs> where I got my Led Zeppelin education. Yeah, it's it's a running joke in our household. My uh, sort of passion for Robert Plant, actually. <laughs> Just Robert Plant. He's a big favorite of mine. Okay, right. So, um, uh, yeah, I uh, it yeah, it could have been on there. As I say, like it was really hard to whittle it down to fifteen. There's quite a lot on there that I had to just slash and burn. Yeah. But yeah, I I do I do like a bit of Led Zeppelin. I you know I think I've I think it's got, a funny I, I thing never got though. To see him live, Led Zeppelin. Were you ever fortunate enough to see them at no, all? No, 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 I wasn't. Um, no, I wasn't. No. I think I think um yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, Led Zeppelin are another kind of funny one. They've got this sort of separate status haven't they they're just mm. that slightly mythical status yeah. um but yeah i yeah they could they could easily be on there they could have well maybe give you a longer list the next time yeah exactly okay then with the number of great records that were out in 71 it's maybe not surprising that your next selection didn't make the top end of the best of lists from the from the album imagine you went for jealous guy for your fifth choice i think it was an old song from the um from some of the Beatles sessions um, that they wrote coming back from you know the India trip, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but he he done nothing with it. I think it had different lyrics and stuff for yeah. for a while. But the tune itself, I think, is, you know maybe three four years old. So, yeah. what's your your take on it? Is it a kind of an unusual Lennon song, or is it very much kind of what he was? A kind of I I love this song, and mm-hmm. it's one of those songs that every so often there's songs that I always go back to and think, how did they write that? 
you know, and I want to get under the skin of it and figure it out. And for some reason, Jealous Guy is one of those things. Uh, one of those songs, and um, I, I think it's that kind of dark vulnerability in the song that Lennon does really well, and that's the part that's the sort of Lennon stuff that I that I I love. You know, that kind of isolation or you know, Jealous Guy is this really beautiful melody and uh, movement, um, and I just I'm a sucker for that. I just you know chord changes that that I, I love a chord change <laughs> that kind of just a heavily emotionally laden chord changes is, is yeah. I love that and then you know an introspective kind of emotional lyric um and that's got all of that and um yeah there's a great Brian Ferry co- cover of it as well mm-hmm. um I don't know if you know that it's really beautiful but um yeah, Actually, so I was, lo- I was lucky enough to see that um, they they played Glasgow Apollo. Uh, I think maybe eighty one, maybe something like that, because they released it after Lennon passed away, didn't they? And uh, and they also had a mini album that came out from that Glasgow Apollo gig, which I actually have got lying upstairs somewhere. And uh, <laughs> uh, and I it's probably quite interesting because they covered it so well. It maybe almost made people go back and. Yeah. Uh, check the original that maybe had maybe undervalued it because it turns into a classic love song with Roxy Music because of yeah. how, how they do songs, right? But Lennon, obviously, he smashed it when he, he did it himself and you can hear that angst and he's he's singing in that kind of relationship, I guess, that he had with um, with Yoko some of the time. So but yeah. I was going to ask you about the kind of sounds interesting. You talked about chord changes there, but, you know, so you had the Imagine album in 71, I think the year before you had the Lennon Ono album. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, both great records, I guess, but they kind of sound quite different, mm. don't they? One's kind of quite lo-fi and pretty raw, and the other one's sort of quite polished and, mm. and well-produced. Well, how do you imagine in 12 months an artist goes through that, that kind of change from, from one to the other? Well, I think sometimes it's just they, they like they like many different things. Mm. And I think that is a really interesting thing that maybe in recent years, you know, there are more records that kind of sound the same all the way through sonically. And it didn't always used to be like that. Or, you know, maybe there's an expectation that artists are one thing, you know, and albums are one thing. They are this thing that um, needs to be the same all, all the time. But I think there was more variation in the past, you know, that within albums within themselves, there would be more variation in terms of the sounds and the palette, the sonic palette. Um, and I think that that's not so common these mm. days, you know, and I, and, I, and I notice it quite a lot because it's more, you know, our last two records, have been a bit like that. And I and I kind of, it's noticeable to me that not a lot of records are like that. A lot of records are very it's much the same all the way through. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, Lennon, if you think of Lennon, like he loved rock and roll and, you know, okay, he's gone, lot, he went in lots of different kinds of, you know, various types of songs and um, in his time. But I think sometimes people, they often reach for the same things, but you can also like, you know, orchestral music at the same time as liking Led Zeppelin or like Jack, you know, and we'll come on to Serge Gainsbourg and I think later on, and I think that's one of the things that um, 
I like about about that you know his music where you know it's this kind of like genre shifting yeah. you know there's lots of things colliding in there yeah. so uh and and I you know I often tend to lo-fi but you know uh, that the the arrangement on Jealous Guy is is, is just beautiful you know yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a lovely as well so you can like that as well you know of course yeah and I think what the song have. needs in a sense it's what the song needs and I, and I also really appreciate that approach and that you know you know what is it you're trying to say through that particular song and sometimes it's like well it's got to just have this kind of arrangement then mm. and I, I guess because of the production itself it, it, it probably has become quite timeless because it, it still sounds really well produced doesn't it it's got it's kind mm. of lovely sound and feel to it. I think you had um, sort of George Harrison played on quite a lot of the the album. Yeah, yeah. As well, and um, you know, you can feel that there's kind of bits. It's more kind of beatily, if you want, than his mm. first album would have been, which you know, absolutely sounds like a solo album. Um, and and I guess he's maybe feeling quite comfortable when he's with the uh, people he knows well and trusts, yeah. and, and it comes through, doesn't it? Because it's quite a, it's almost a bit Joni Mitchell the record, doesn't it? It's quite. It's quite cathartic. He's kind of quite open and, and, and what have you on it. So it's yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that dark vulnerability which Absolutely. is sort of you know a bit of a magnet with with Lennon for me anyway. That that's the stuff I like. Absolutely, and it's just a classic love song. So from the album, imagine uh, this is Jealous Guy by John Lennon. So that was Jealous Guy by John Lennon. It was an interesting year all round for culture, and there were some great books and films out too. A couple of books I've picked out in 71 that mm -hmm. uh, are, are worth a mention. So we had The Day of the Jackal by mm -hmm. Frederick Forsyth. We had The Exorcist mm -hmm. by William P. Batty, which frightened the life out of me. Uh, we also had Love Story, uh, which, which was lovely for different reasons. And there was also Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by Hunter S. Thompson. So... Uh, some quite kind of strong cultural uh, books there, most of which became sort of best-selling films and stuff uh, uh, later on in the 70s, but kind of really big in themselves, I guess, and you could imagine them being quite important at the time when when they came out. Um, and I just did sort of parallel to that, I had a look at some of the kind of films that were rated for, for 71 as well, and the top five I've got are uh, Clockwork Orange, uh, The French Connection, uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh, Dirty Harry, and uh, and one that made me smile was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Oh yeah, see so Gene love... Wilder in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was was again another of my uh, odd odder I'd say crushes. <laughs> um, nothing to do with chocolate, but it was just something to do with Gene Wilder. But yeah. there you go. I've got a quote for you. Do you want me to read a quote from the film? It's funny you should say because I saw a quote when it was doing the films and I thought, I'll get this right. So this is him and he's all his pomp. Um, wrong, sir, wrong. Under section 37B of the contract signed by him, it states quite clearly that all offers shall become null and void if, and you can read it for yourself in this photostatic copy, I, the undersigned, shall forfeit all rights, privileges and licenses herein and herein contained, etc., etc., Facts mentees, intensium, gloria, cultum, etc., etc. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You just stole, you stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which has now has to be washed and sterilised. So you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Yeah. And that's that's how <laughs> I remember Willy Wonka. That was just <laughs> mental, wasn't yeah. it? Really. Yeah. 
Yeah. Top five film, so I might cut that out. I just thought I'd read it since. I know what a year <laughs> since it was there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so your first five selections were all bestsellers uh, from well-recognised artists. For your next selection, I don't think even Nick Drake would have argued he was either in 1971. It was pretty much unnoticed at the time, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, um, and... Yeah, good old Nick Drake. Yeah, and what about him then? So what, what kind of draws you to, to Nick Drake then? Well, you see, I, uh, I, I, find, I always find Nick Drake intriguing and he is a bit of a mysterious character. He obviously, you know, unfortunately died young and didn't make a huge impact um, while he was alive. And But since, you know, I suppose there's been a bit of a, a retrospective revival of him down the years. And, um, yeah, I always find him intriguing. You know, there's there's always something more to listen to, I think, in his, his music. And again, there's a, a darkness in there and a beauty and a way with words. And, you know, in this particular song... Um, so you chose uh, one of these things I, first, yeah? from the, One the of these album. things first, like, yes, why, exactly. Why I think, well, I I, um, I think that it kind of rips along like a sort of spluttering river carrying you along this song. Um, you just get, really get swept away by it. Yeah. And in his lyric writing and in his music, you know, again, it's that sort of music that's really up my street and it's got kind of my you know, preferred levels of doubt, doubt, you know, in the lyrics, you know, that kind of, um, but it's, it's very unique. It's trying to phrase of, you know, one of these things first, you know, what's that about? Yeah. You know, um, it's not the maybe run of the mill way to put things. And yeah, it's all very relatable, you know, and he was um, very, somehow. He, he was very unique at the time because he, he was literally doing his own thing. He didn't appear to have any any worries about whether people were, were buying the record or whether his record label were happy or he just he just seemed to be doing what he wanted to do. I think he got quite frustrated maybe about the lack of recognition he was mm, getting because yeah. he, he, th- he thought himself he was he was deserving of more recognition, but the songs are just what, it sounds like it's just what he wanted to write. I also read yeah. that um, he didn't do like... Uh, didn't really do concerts. He certainly didn't do promotional videos. Um, I don't think there's any uh, video footage of him ever. Mm-hmm. And the albums are quite different, you mm. know. Um, you know, sparser and, and more embellished, you know, because, you know, what other musicians played on them, which changed the sort of characters um, from sort of early ones. But um, I just think that, you know, if I talk to Jonathan, he'll always talk about how sonically he's attracted to things. And I'm often just attracted to the underlying song in things, you know, the movements that are inherent in a piece of work, no matter the arrangement. Sometimes, you know, there's some things that I absolutely love because of that, but I just think somehow, um, you know, you, you can just, you can see the songs in him, you know, and mm. what it, what he was getting at or you know trying to say and like I say it's there's a uniqueness about him there's a kind of um a way of looking at things that are uniquely his and expressing himself and um the you know one of these things first is I just love that as a title Mm. you know one of what you know there's a kind of 
it's a relatable but also what mysterious and you know so it's got that lovely kind of idea of somebody telling you something and you're kind of delighted and intrigued and you relate to it at the same time and that's what I really get the feeling I get from the song and like I say it just sort of sweeps you along with the arrangement that it has you know the the piano and that it just ripples along like this beautiful river yeah. and then it's over and you're like oh that was great yeah but, but you go back again wouldn't you that's you, you revisit yeah. it again you, you'd start at the beginning you yeah. take your boat up the river and then you go I'm going to do that again so that that's what this song gives me is a feeling yeah. I'll be like right I'm going to do that again you walk up back to the mountain you slide back down again that's yeah. what it feels like I mean, he was getting recognition at the time. I think when I was having a look at the best of list, he was uh, he would be in the top top twenty twenty five uh, of critics' choice. So there there was recognition there, but uh, it was never yeah, at the level maybe nailed. that he, he hoped. Yeah, for mm. as you see, he only did one more record, I think, and then he, he wasn't with us anymore, which is yeah. um, which is a real shame. Yeah. I am um, again things that you you pick up that I didn't know anything about. So I always loved. You know the song by Dream Academy, Life in a Northern Town. Yes. Right. It was written about Nick Drake. Oh, was and, it? Uh, I had no idea about that. Yeah, again, yeah. Just sort of plodding through some stuff and uh, and it came up yeah. and I went back and listened to the song again. Nice song, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's gorgeous and it's also quite, uh, kind of, it's got that sound to it as well, if that makes sense. Mm. Kind of, it's kind mm. of almost of a, a picture of a time or something that... Yeah, that, that kind that, of movement, um, that feel. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely, yeah. So that was another sort of benefit for me. But yeah, it's a fantastic record and uh, uh, both the track you've picked and the LP itself, um, right or later, are both... Um, both fantastic, so uh, definitely worth a listen. We'll get get this on. So from the album Right or Later, uh, this is one of these things first by Nick Drake. That was one of these things first by Nick Drake. Really enjoyed that. We have looked at the big culture events releases of 71, so let's finish off by running through the best-selling singles of the year. Okay. Just square these off with the, mm. the, um, the critics and, and what have you. Okay, so number 10 was uh, Get It On by T-Rex. Yep. Told a great story to Bobby about that because he picked a T-Rex song. But I'll let you go and find that on the podcast. Uh, number nine was Hey Girl Don't Bother Me by The Tams. Number eight was I'm Still Waiting, Diana Ross. Seven was Never Ending Song of Love by The New Seekers. Then we had The Push Bike Song by The Mixtures, which I wasn't too sure about. Um... Five was Hot Love, T-Rex. Four was Knock Three Times, Dawn. Three was Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap, uh -huh. Middle of the Road. Two was uh, Maggie Maestro, Reasons to Believe, Ross Stewart. Yeah. And number one was My Sweet Lord by wow. Josh yeah. Harrison. Yeah, yeah. So you're right from earlier, you know, there are one or two kind of novelty songs in there, but, you, you know, most of those songs you would say are pop classics and... In their mm. own way, and you know that critical acclaim and the best of lists and the public acclaim. If you want through the the purchasing of the records, it's um, quite unusual, really, and certainly a lot more difficult to, to do that now, I guess, than it would have yeah, been then. No, absolutely, I, I think it. I think it. I think it really is. I think it's really funny looking at sort of top ten lists from that whole period. You know, late sixties, well, the sixties and the seventies, where it's just like a big song after big song, but occasionally. There's just, you know, the chirpy, chirpy, cheap, cheeps in there or some kind of like something quite cheesy and um, you, you're kind of like and snuggled in, in amongst like just massive classic songs. Mm. Um, and no one would have thought twice about that at the time. No. It's just history, retrospectively, you know, rearranging those in our brains to go, but, you know, 
what you've got like you know my sweet lord beside chirpy chirpy cheep cheep you know yeah. and everyone just going yeah <laughs> that at the time but um you're looking back you, you know they're just such a different kind of thing yeah and talk about being different your um your next selections uh, really interesting so the song is jesus were a crossmaker by judy sill and she has a fascinating backstory mm. I, I don't know all of it but i was reading that she she got involved in some robberies Mm-hmm. Well, she was pretty young. I think she yeah. might have been a sex worker for yep. a period of time. She certainly served some time in prison. Mm-hmm. And all of that at a sort of relatively young age. So, you, you know, you can only imagine what that would have done to, to shape her, her life. So what, what made you um, pick this song, Amanda? Um, Judy, I was came quite late to Judy Sill, um, but I, I loved her straight away. I think there's a kind of, you know, piano is her main kind of um what I know her for writing on mm-hmm. and how there's an oddness to her melodies and her rhythms that's really interesting you know again just unique and quite um you know how did she how did how does she do that kind of thing when you listen to it you know that the her her that the patterns of her 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 vocals and her her the, the rhythms of her songs and the kind of um the oddness of where her melodies go yeah it's very her and 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 quite odd and this this particular song is like that you know it's idiosyncratic but then really hooky at the same time which is a, a you know a neat trick to pull off you know of doing something so kind of strangely fight flighty and peculiar but also really hooky yeah, and also this was a kind of breakthrough record, really, wasn't it? She mm. she hadn't done an awful lot but before yeah. this, and with that backstory, and then coming out with this type of music, there can't be many people that have just appeared really and um and have been able to have that that kind of impact, uh, especially when, as you say, there were so many other amazing uh, records and bands and artists at that time, and she still managed to kind of to, to find a way through that, and mm. then she kind of she kind of got to know a bit, and then she went off the rails again and. So I think she she never quite she was never quite part of any crowd. I don't think she's always yeah, quite I've, quite of her own. I think I've got she? a thought in my he- back in my head that this song I must have heard somewhere was about JD Souther and her, yeah, her relationship that's, that's with him. Yeah. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I just pulled like that out the back of my have brain. A relationship or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh-huh, right. uh-huh. So yeah. I think this is this is about breaking up with her and is directly about him. I read a quote from her that said, uh, I wanted to write the song about the principle that the lower down you go to gain your momentum from, the higher up it will propel you. I swear this song saved me. It was writing this song or suicide, you know. Yeah, that's something. And uh, yeah, and you can kind of hear quite a lot of that in the record, which um, which is unusual back to that Joni Mitchell, but it's almost mm-hmm. like another level of, um, mm-hmm. of sort of personal input and stuff it was produced by graham nash so again it's it's got, yeah, yeah. It's got a kind of lovely melodic sound to it hasn't it and uh she mm. was another one who didn't she she really she, she didn't stay with us as no. long as um she could have done which mm. um which is a real shame uh, I, I, the other thing i picked up on was uh she um the song was a big influence on nick lowe when he wrote uh what's so funny about peace love and understanding Really, and I, yeah, I, I, Nick Lowe is another one of my crushes. We seem to be, <laughs> we seem to be to- talking about all my peculiar crushes in this this podcast. But yeah, Nick Lowe, I love Nick Lowe. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I didn't know that. No, I didn't know I like that either. That. 
and you can uh, it don't sound similar but you can see elements uh-huh. of that quirkiness and and it's quite uh it's quite a thoughtful record as well of course isn't it the, the Nicholas mm. song it's quite profound mm-hmm. in its its own way and uh, and I guess you can see that having an influence on him as he's doing his stuff when he was a bit younger um it, she got quite a lot of critical acclaim at the time mm. again didn't quite yeah a bit like Nick Drake didn't quite convert yeah. that into to sales and stuff but the, she, she was known you know it was yeah. um, as I say she did manage to to get a name for herself, which uh, which is saying something really when you think about what she'd went through over the mm. um, the years before that. Um, we'll, we'll stick it on, I think, and, and have yeah. a listen. So this is your seventh selection, Amanda, uh, and it's Jesus Was a Crossmaker by Judy Sill. Okay, lovely. So uh, that was Jesus Was a Crossmaker by Judy Sill. Amanda, you gave us 15 songs from 1971. And we are about to play your eighth and final song in a minute. Before we do, it'd be nice to get some one-line reviews from you on your other seven selections, if you're okay with that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll just call them out, and you can give us a couple of lines on why you've chosen the songs, if you don't mind. Okay. Excuse my pronunciation on the first one. Uh, La Telle Particulier by Serge Gainsbourg, or something yep, like from- that. Yes, it's from Melody Nelson. Um, And yeah, so concept album, Mm. very much um, part of that time. Uh, You know, as I mentioned earlier, I love the kind of genre hopping aspect of of sort of seeing Serge Gainsbury's work, you know, like moving from chanson to, you know, this, which if you haven't heard it, listen to it. you know, it's, I love the talky vocal. I love the kind of orchestral aspect. I love the kind of, um, it's, it appeals to me in the same way as, um, you know, some of Marianne Faithful's work does. So that'll just give you a little flavor of what it, what, what it is, but it's dark, it's sleazy. There's a talky vocal. There's, you know, um, you, you, if you listen to it and you don't know that it's from 1971, you might not know when it's from. Yeah, it's got another famous cover. I remember. It does. It yes. does. Jane Birkin. Yeah. yeah. Another a brilliant cover. Again, great, great modern looking cover. So, yeah, yeah I urge you to seek that out. Yeah, absolutely. And the only thing I can add to all that, and I have and I will again, was um, I found out he also wrote the song that won the 1965 Eurovision Song Contest. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Of course he did, right? So um, for Luxembourg of all people, so yeah, uh, there's no end to the man's talents, right? Yeah, okay. Number ten was uh, "Love Her Madly" by The Doors. Mm-hmm. From LA Women. Um, yeah, just you know, great rollicking, hooky. You know, it's one of those songs. It's like one, two, three, go, and you, off you go, kind of thing. Best Doors album. Um. It's not a so question. <laughs> a lot of people say that. I mean, I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I. I yeah. I. Um. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Quite bluesy, isn't it? It's kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, as mm-hmm. you say, it, yeah, it moves along quite most of the records a bit like that. So. Um, yeah. Really good. Just yeah. got that excitement kind of it thing. Has. Yeah, it was a shame again. It wasn't. It wasn't with as much longer after the the record came out. Um, no. Number eleven was "My Baby" by Janis Joplin. Yeah, talking of people who weren't with us long enough, uh, another one. Um, yeah, from Pearl. Um, you know, uh, there aren't many women in rock. 
you know, and here is one. Um, so uh, just shows you the kind of variety of stuff that you start to get at yeah. in 1971. You know, it's got Mercedes Benz on that, that, that album as well. You know, there's that political streak running through yeah. 71 as well, which we'll um, mention in the next one too. Sure, absolutely. And, and she was such a big personality in every way. Yeah. I guess, um, and the record actually came out, didn't it, after she she had passed away, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of tragic figure as well, um, unfortunately. But, yeah, mm -hmm. but, but huge in its own way. I think it was number one for nine oh, yeah. weeks in the US, um, which there's not many records do that. Yeah, uh, and a well-known cover. Yeah, absolutely. She's just, she's there, isn't she? She's yeah, yeah. chilling out, not, mm -hmm. not caring about anything, really. Mm -hmm. um, and you talk about there's not enough women in rock. Uh, totally unconnected. Uh, last year during lockdown, I read Bruce Springsteen's uh, autobiography. <coughs> Excuse me, and um, he talks about when he was playing in sort of the New Jersey world in his sixty nine seventy, and the band he was playing with were a pretty big band at the time, a band called Steel Mill, mm -hmm. and uh, they played a lot of live guys and got big crowds down. And one of the gigs they played, this woman turned up to see them and turned out to be Janis Joplin. Really, and he was aware of her. But um, you know, hadn't met her or anything like that, and he came off for the gig to go back on and do the encore, and she said to him when he came off, "You're um, you're coming with me," and he, and he was a pretty kind of he was a pretty gallus guy, Springsteen at the time, right? And he um, he left at the other side of the stage when the encores were finished. <laughs> Because he was frightened over, he had to think, and he didn't know what he'd do, and his friends kind of smuggled him out and stuff like that. So, yeah, I know yeah. she was, um, she was big in every way. Um, yeah, number twelve was "What's Going On" by Marvin Gaye. Yeah, yeah, I mean that that hits a lot of top top lists, mm. top top lists, and and again, that uh, you know, the a, a very political album. Um, and, you know, just things never change, do they? But, you know, uh, uh, such a seminal record of the time couldn't not be included in a 1971 list. No, I don't think so. And uh, and looking back now, you think it all makes sense, but it was actually uh, quite a tough birth, didn't it, through Motown yeah. at the time? Yeah. And uh, because he didn't really do political stuff so much and mm. he fought and, and won and, uh, and mm. the rest is history, literally, isn't yeah. it? So, yeah. And it just sounds beautiful, doesn't it, the record? Mm. Another one with that, that you talked about things that flow and it just seems to just wander through yeah. it's finished, you know, and you think, wow. Yeah, and you need to tune in. You need to tune in to the words and the lyrics and, you know, because you could, could you could just appreciate it at that level, but, you know, it is um, part of its time in that sense. Absolutely. Uh, number 13 was Something on Your Mind by Karen Dalton. Yeah, an incredible song. Um, this... I just think it's the sound and the flows of this song are incredible. There's, you know, a beautiful um, fiddle part all the way through that kind of weaves its way around her. I can almost feel that she's sort of, um, you know, that the two are entwined and she's got this, her voice almost sounds kind of multi-layered, although it's not, you know, it's um, just the sound of this record is, is brilliant, I think. And it and kind of... Were you generally a fan of Karen Dalton's? Was it, would you be listening yeah, to Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah um, no, absolutely. And um, But this is just a bit of a standout. 
Yeah, I just wondered. I, I, I thought there was kind of elements of um, Sister John. Oh, really? Sounds in there. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, kind of lo-fi, but, but quite full, quite melodic, and mm -hmm. uh, quite mm -hmm. a lot of sound in there as well when you, you sit and listen right. to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, maybe. Maybe it's been one of those things that's stuck in my head, but yeah. yeah of course, I, yeah. I yeah. Good, good stuff as you do. I, I've got a lovely quote uh, from Bob Dylan because she was part of that. that yeah. Show, wasn't she, for a while? Mm -hmm. He said that she had a voice like Billy Holiday, but played guitar like Jimmy Reed, mm -hmm. the old blues guitarist. So, yeah, and she she was kind of quite individualistic, I think, wasn't she? Um, really enjoyed that. She's another one I think that's got a documentary out somewhere. Oh yeah, another I did. one of my least yeah. uh, to track down. Yeah, I'll seek uh, it out. Absolutely. Uh, Fourteen was Tiny Dancer by Elton John. Well, everyone's favourite Elton John song, maybe, perhaps, and it's from nineteen seventy one. Um, even people that don't like Elton John like this song. Yeah. It's the main thing to say about Tiny Dancer, I'd say. Why wouldn't you like it? <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And again, you know, great strings and um, movement. You know, the movement of it is brilliant. And it just really carries people, carries people along in a way. Um, it's just got that appeal, this that sort of universal appeal. But as I say, you know, people that... You know, Jonathan's not keen on Elton John, but he loves Tiny Dancer. Right. <laughs> did they enjoy the film? I did, yeah. I think, yeah, yeah we both enjoyed the film. Yeah. Quite, yeah. Quite liked it. Did you like it? I did, yeah. Oh. Uh, probably more than I maybe expected to. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I think you probably forget he was prolific when, you know, oh, 70, yeah. 71 to 75, 76. Absolutely. Prolific, he really was. Um, mm -hmm. No, I really enjoyed it. It was good. And the last one was Superstar by the Carpenters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's back to that point about, um, you know, music running off in all different kinds of directions. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I, I love the Carpenters. I mean, again, lots of really melodic, great songs. And I think the Carpenters are one of those groups that lots of people who write music are involved in music like, mm -hmm. you know. and. This, the, it's just, um, I mean, Car Karen Carpenter's silky, beautiful voice, you know, never, it always surprises me. I know it's incredible, but then you put, put a song on and you go, ah, God, I've forgotten how like caramel her voice is, but, yeah. you know, it's the songs, there's something, there's something about them, just, um, you know, really strong, melodic tunes that, uh, you know, yeah, great. And the original lead sister, of course. Indeed. Yeah. Absolutely. Indeed. Yes, I, have, I do own that lead sister T-shirt that, yeah. that she wore. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, that's where uh, it's from. Well spotted. Not at all. Uh, it's a cracking T-shirt. Uh, and also, I, I did pick up, it was a, a one-take vocal for the song. I hate her. Yeah, <laughs> even more now. So I know, just... and, and the fact that she was a drummer as well. Oh. It's, just, it's just great. Yeah, but, um, yeah, yeah no, the, the characters are really interesting in that they do occupy that kind of other side of the 60s and 70s of the kind of like, you know, you can imagine they're there on a kind of variety show with their long pink dress on and kind of doing, you know, please, yeah. Mr. Postman, you know, doing these yeah. slightly cheesy songs. But then, you know, I just feel that they're really loved and liked by people, other people who write music. 
it's, it's quite it's quite uh and you know we're we're big at the time but and again another person who unfortunately left yeah too she soon yeah. um but they got yeah. 71 was, was maybe the year that made them they, they even from there on they got pretty big didn't they for a mm. while and really did yeah you know, so um no it's, it's a cracking list uh and you know we are sort of relatively crammed for time in the podcast because we, we don't want them to go on for hours but if we do have time to squeeze one of these other seven songs in at the end which one would you plump for maybe go for the serge uh okay this might be the most different Good. Stick in like, there. Yeah, a lot of the guys are putting things in there that are, you know, maybe challenging for want of a better word, things you wouldn't normally hear so much. And we really like that. We really like the fact that the, the tiny dancers of the world are amazing, aren't they? But it's nice to to get a, a, another perspective on music mm. at that time. And the, the search channel definitely give us all that. So we'll see if we can sneak that one in at the end. And okay, and so to your last selection from your shortlist and what's not to like about it, changes by... David Bowie. Easy decision for you to put this one in? Yeah, I mean, like, if you're making a case for, like, 71 being the best year, it's hard not hard to avoid Hunky Dory. I think um, yeah. changes, when I go back and listen to things like this, what always surprises me is, like, you know, it's, it's glam, but it's orchestral, and it's got those kind of vocal interludes that, you know, um, that kind of suspense and release. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's brilliant, and you know that kind of light and shade of dyna- the dynamics and the kind of masterful kind of dramatic element that 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 um, there is there, and all that appeals to me. You know, it's got it's sort of an introspective and expressive lyric, and it's an inter- and it's this, it's expressive and introspective sonically as well, mm-hmm. as well as being really hooky. Like it's doing lots of different things, mm-hmm. but. Um, it always surprises me that you know you how stripped back the verses are and then they explode um and you know it that's it's it just grabs you um and everyone knows this song but you know when you go back and and listen to these in those terms you know what's really going on it um as you do if you write stuff you're always going how did they manage that <laughs> um other things reveal themselves so yeah again right up my street that kind of introspective light and shade you know mixture of types of sounds Hmm. um and the album uh, was a the album was a critical success in 71 it was in the best of list we we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. but didn't sell a lot until ziggy stardust came out yeah yeah following Mm -hmm. year and the sort of punchline to all that of course is that he in effect wrote the two albums at pretty much the same time the same sessions and uh, and was then able to release them kind of six months mm. apart and wow and the rest is is history. Mm. Say. And he had that maybe that perfect storm of he was ready. He had some songs. He got the the, the musicians around him that he needed. The spiders from Mars pretty much came around him for Hunky Dory. Guys like Rick Waitman in there giving him kind of expertise if you want on mm. piano and stuff like that and great production and just just bang as you say it just. Plus, he just back from America, wasn't he? And he brought back all these kind of American influences, the Velvet Underground and stuff, which a lot of guys in, in the UK hadn't hadn't really got at that time. Mm. So Queen Bitch and stuff is all kind of yeah. from, from that world, right? And Andy Warhol and, and, and what have you. So just seemed oh. to be different, didn't it, to to kind of everything else that was going on. It was another, not, not this one, but um, Life on Mars is another one of those mm. one, one-take vocals that you hate, Amanda. <laughs> 
and uh, and I wasn't I would never quite believe that but uh, somebody told me if you hear the the end of the song you can hear the phone ringing at the end of the song and they had a phone in the studio huh? and they, they allowed it just to, to ring out because the vocal was the take mm-hmm. and they thought well, it's just it's part of the song then so um they didn't, yeah. they didn't really care so much did they about being there for days on end they just when it was right for them it was um it was right I also read uh, which I didn't know that uh, the changes was one of when he played for the last time live. Uh, he played at a, a benefits charity thing in two thousand six uh, with Alicia Keys, mm-hmm. and he sang changes, and he sang a uh, well does the wind, and I think it was fantastic voyage. I think was his his other pick. So you know it's almost kind of kind of quite a nice way to bookend maybe, uh, not knowing of course that he wasn't wasn't going to play again after that, but. Uh, but you can imagine him going to it and thinking, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. Mm. He was quite quirky, wasn't he? He quite liked, not just the tin machines of his of his career, but he quite liked getting into stuff that maybe people didn't know so well and mm. it wasn't a great one for doing greatest hits tours. No, absolutely. No, yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I think it was really difficult in um, kind of choosing not what not to include. You know, and it's it's you could have a whole other list from seventy one that is slightly more obscure, I think. But you know, um, yeah, there was there's so much stuff like this that is just that are you know classics that that you can't really deny, I guess. Yeah. And and every year every year has their classics, and I think it's, yeah. quite, it's quite right you call them out because that's that's why they're yeah. classics, isn't it? So. Um, so let's finish with a classic then and we're absolutely going out on a high so from the album Hunky Dory this is Changes by David Bowie that was David Bowie with Changes Uh, before we finish Amanda can you tell us what you have coming up over the next few weeks I think you might have some more live gigs coming up we do we have um, two Sister John gigs coming up at the CCA in Glasgow in December the 11th and the 18th and um, just other things being planned uh, behind the scenes for okay. the coming year, hopefully as well. So. Writing and recording or more live gigs or um, a bit of both? More live gigs. Okay. And um, yeah, getting stuck back into writing and then recording. So that's that's the next thing. Excellent. Uh, I'm sure the gigs will be great and it'll be, be good to hear some more music from you in um, 22, I'm guessing. Hopefully. Um, new music. Well, we'll see. Tw- yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Hopefully. Good. Well, we're recording this, so we'll, we'll maybe keep you to that. <laughs> but we really appreciate you joining us today. It's been great fun. Uh, and the song selected and those in the playlist reflect what a strong year for music 1971 was. Whether it was the best remains to be seen, of course. Um, today's podcast and the supporting playlist can be found on Spotify by searching Over Our Garden Wall. Join the chat on Facebook using the same search or find us on Twitter at Over Our Wall. So with me, D, when he's fit and well, we'll be back soon with another guest proposing pop music's greatest year. But until we do, we will leave you with a bonus selection from Amanda's playlist. Thanks for listening and stay safe, everyone.